Welcome back, everyone, to the Artificially Unintelligent podcast. With me today, as always, is William, machine learning researcher extraordinaire. How are you doing, buddy? Thanks for the nice intro. I'm doing great. It's a full day of programming, so cannot complain too much. How about you? Nice. But you have a nice break for an hour talking. Yeah, exactly. So it's always it it's always a good brief break just to get some stuff out of my system and talk a bit about the current state of AI. I just love doing that. But how about you? I'm good as well. It looks pretty similar, but I think I have more interleaved calls because I'm finally at the final stage of my thesis. So it's like talking to evaluators all day and getting them to do the work. And basically, I'm just passively looking at my database and uh, making sure that nothing crashes. Exactly, yeah. And yeah, it's an iterative process until you get the final review and can do your defense. But, you know, it's just nice to eventually get it over with. What are your what are your general plans afterwards, you know? That's it. So first of all, I want to turn like my master thesis into a few papers, uh, which should be possible. Because you've read it, it's quite extensive. I think I'm at the moment at like 130 pages now with the appendix. And I think that data set and the study we are doing, like the scale of study we are doing is quite unique and hasn't really been done before in the LLM space. So I think there should be some possibilities of papers, which would be the thing I will be spending my time on directly after the master thesis. And then... I will have like enough buffer to figure out what's next. Yeah, so a thesis like that can definitely be broken down into at least, I would say, two papers that you can try to publish and maybe even three, depending on what your strategy is here. But it's quite, I don't know, I don't mind the writing process of new papers. It's more about them, you know, reading new articles, which can be a bit dreadful at times if you're just trying to skim through some text but it's I me mean, you gotta you gotta love what you do most of the time so if you're really interested in the machine learning space i hope that like short papers and things like that they shouldn't take up too much of your effort and the time so yeah yeah so maybe let's get into the topic of the day so today we're gonna talk about llama 2 which is the newest model in the Llama family from Meta. So we are sticking with our Meta theme. And Llama especially, the first one was a big surprise because Meta decided to completely open source the weights or they wanted to do it. But first of all, they published it to researchers, but then it got the weights got published to BitTorrent and then they decided to basically open source it. But they had like very stringent usage conditions you have to like basically comply with and now they brought out a new model um, a new version of it which is llama 2 where they basically completely open sourced it. the only people who they are restricting from reusing it are basically their competitors like really large companies which only is google microsoft and apple basically and open ai because they have the, yeah. they have the maybe the most famous large language models out of them all. But if you are, you know, keeping up to date with the machine learning sphere and what's going on in there, you probably have not missed that Llama 2 is one of the better models out there. It's open source, which is an active effort from Meta to open source a lot of their code and kind of gain 
ground on this sort of territory uh, because as we know OpenAI chose to close their models off to the public a bit and don't describe like how many parameters it consists out of and um I'm not sure for Llama 2, they don't tell you what the data set is, right? What it has been trained on. I think this is usually quite discreet. Yeah, so that's like one big discussion, whether you actually can label it open source, because in the end, you cannot really replicate it because you don't have access to the data and also to you don't know like what exactly are the steps they did for cleaning the data, which is also quite important for large models and on the data in general so they claim llama 2 was trained on 40 percent more data than llama 1 and one of the main things they also said they have double the context length so llama 1 had a context length of 2048 tokens which basically means you can fit roughly 1,200 to 1,700 words in there, which is like a fairly large blog post. And the number of tokens is 2 trillion, which is quite a lot, which is like the entire internet plus some stuff. And they release Llama 2 in different model sizes, a 7 billion parameter version, 13 billion and 17 billion. And for me, what was really the, the main upgrade they did from the first version is they did extensive fine tuning for chat use cases. So on top of their regular model, they brought out a chat model. The difference between those two basically is you have the regular version is just trained on next token prediction. So basically, if you imagine you're, you're writing a blog post, and you start writing and you always think about, okay, what word comes next? And that's how the large language models are trained as well. And this allows them to be trained in a self-supervised fashion because if it predicts the wrong word or the wrong token for the next position, you already can give it a loss. And with that, they update the parameters to train the model further on, on next word prediction. The chat model, on the other hand, is trained in the same way, but in a supervised fashion. So you don't take just a random text, you take input-output pairs. And the input basically is a user request, and the output is the response the model gave. And they had over 100,000 chat examples for the supervised fine-tuning. In the large language model space, when you are training such a model like Llama and Llama 2, what can you say about, you talked about self-supervised learning and next word prediction. What can you say about the loss, loss function when you predict, let's say, a wrong word? Is there, to a certain degree, how close you were? For example, if you have an adjective, like you want to say good and you happen to say great, but... What if it would output something like completely different? What is the, you know, how how does the loss function take that into consideration? How much the word deviates from its true kind of self? So it's calculated with the negative log likelihood. So since you're basically predicting probabilities of certain tokens, you're not directly predicting tokens. 
So each at each step, the model is outputting a probability distribution with a set of tokens, and you have different strategies to take it. You can sample only the most probable one, but you also can apply like just regular sampling, or you can restrict it to like the top 10 tokens. These are all different strategies. And what you try to do in the training process, you try to optimize the conditional probability of predicting the next word based uh, on conditioned on the previous words by tuning the hyperparameters. And if you have a conditional probability over over a sequence, you have like a product. And basically you have the first word, which is basically just the probability of predicting the first word. The second word would be the probability of pro predicting the second word conditioned on that we already know the first word and so on and so on. And so we have like the probability of a whole sequence modeled and the negative log likelihood is just taking the log of that and summing it up. And this is the loss function that is used for optimizing the parameters. And with that, you basically tune it to conditioned on the previous word, predict the correct next word. Yeah, so I think that's a great summary. And I mean, the mathematical equations and so on, this people can look up for themselves. But what can you say about the performance of the 7 billion, 13 billion and 70 billion parameter models that you were previously mentioning? So in general, the, the larger the model, the better it performs, especially if we are training at such a large corpus of data, the small models probably can't capture it. And in the end, they also suffer from catastrophic forgetting. So the stuff they were tra trained on in the beginning, they probably forget it because of the parameter updates at the end. And the large models, on the other hand, are able to capture more of this diversity and complexity in their weights because they are just richer in the stuff they can capture. They have more space, basically, for information and knowledge. And that's my one thing that's been noticed. They are like emergent capabilities at a certain threshold, which is like a little bit undetermined, which is like 50, maybe even 100 billion parameters. There is like a huge boost in performance because suddenly you have emergent capabilities which is like reasoning and stuff like that, which the models are able to do. So at the moment, it's like the larger, the better, but the larger it is, the more costly it is and the slower it is at the same time. Yeah, so there are some benefits to the smaller models because you can run them faster, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, if you want great quality output, so, so there's basically a trade-off here that we're talking about. Yeah until we would get to some sort of tipping point where hardware can support the, the models that really give you the, the right context that you want and the, you know, the correct outputs and so on. And maybe this is at a certain threshold when it comes to you know, parameter, like number of parameters in the model. And at one point, maybe the improvement just dies off. I'm not sure if we have seen signs of this yet, but yeah, will be interesting to see. It's, it's probably we rather run into a barrier where it's just getting too costly to train larger models 
in relation to the performance improvement. So the performance improvement will, the performance will still increase, but the increase isn't worth the effort. And at the same time, we are running out of training data. So what is uh, code or what is Llama 2 used for mainly? So Llama 2 is, so I use Llama 2 for my thesis. And so for text generation, but you basically can use it for any use case you want to use OpenAI for, but where you want to run your own model or you want to ensure that the data is kept private and that it's run on your own servers. And this is where Llama re really shines, in my opinion. There are a bunch of models out there, but I think like the best two are, or the best three are Falcon, Llama 2, and Mistral. And also depending on your use case. So I would always, if you're thinking about doing an open source model and deploying it yourself and training it yourself before that, I would first try out these three and then figure out, okay, which one do I want to go with? The thing that stands out about Llama is especially the chat models. And the chat models have been, like I said before, like extensively fine-tuned, especially instruction-tuned on like input-output pairs from actual chats with human interaction. But also they have done an extensive RLHF. RLHF is basically reinforcement learning by human feedback. So you collect preference data, which often is like either binary comparison, so you show them two texts and you the user chooses this one is better than the other, or you choose multiple texts and have like, like a scale, like this one is the best, this one is the worst. And they have collected over 1 million human preferences. And they focus especially on helpfulness and safety as opposed to honesty, which some other models do. And this actually makes it probably quite well suited for more safety critical tasks and chatbots, which should be a little bit more conservative. Like if I'm thinking for banks and stuff like that, I would probably go with Llama 2 because they also included a bunch of safety metadata. And for me, Llama 2 is really suited for, for use cases where I'm more considerate about not the biggest quality, but where it's still achieving a high quality, but where especially like the safety considerations are really high. For this RLHF training scheme, how do you think they get the feedback? And do you think it's a sustainable strategy for training new models? Or do you think they will, you know, deploy a different sort of tactic when it comes to training, you know, the next generation of Llama models? I'm not sure which provider they used. I imagine that they probably used the same one OpenAI did, which is scale. And there are a bunch of different approaches. One is just through actual user data. So having the model deployed, and I think this isn't the case for, for Meta, um, but OpenAI captures their RLHF data, their preference data by showing multiple different examples to the user and the user can pick one or also capturing user interaction. Like for example, if the user is copying out a message, that's a pretty good feedback signal. But they probably also use experts, which are used to give feedback on more specialized tasks, which is coding, 
but also text generation in, for example, in the biology domain and stuff like that, where you need a little bit more of a, of knowledge to judge the quality. And lastly is something in the direction of mechanical Turk, where you just have human laborers, which are labeling the text, whether one is better than the other or not. So you mentioned domain expertise, which is necessary in many cases, and you mentioned specifically code for coding and programming. What can you say about Code Llama? Because Code Llama is also one of their more prominent models that is built on top of Llama 2, to my understanding. Yeah. So basically, they built it on top of Llama 2, and they have multiple different models, again, for Code Llama. They have like a foundational code model, which can write, I think the best languages are C Sharp, C++, Python, Java, PHP, TypeScript, and Bash, uh, which is, it's trained for, and they added another 400 billion tokens just for the code Llama models. But they also brought out one for, for Python and also one code Llama instruct which is fine-tuned for understanding natural language instruction. So the first two, the foundational code model and the Python model, are more for just generating a code one-shot, whereas the code llama instruct is more suited for back-and-forth interaction, where you basically give more feedback and where you want more interaction with the user. Have you tried it? And if so, how would you say it stands or holds up against GitHub Copilot, which is based on, I think it's a kind of ancestor of GPT-3 from OpenAI, or it's Codex model, I think. Yeah, so you have to consider like the training advantage GitHub Copilot has. I think in GitHub Copilot obviously performs better in my opinion, but it's also slightly, I think, because of all the context it gets. So it sees all the code I've already written and most of the time, that's more stuff than what I'm feeding into a model because I'm not copying out my entire code base or the stuff I recently looked at to feed it into the model. But in general, Code Lama performs really well across coding tasks. And so I've used it for, for C and also for Python, where it both performs well, and but also for bash scripting. And I would love to see like an actual comparison where it's actually running on the device. I've, I haven't done it, but I would say would probably get close to the performance of GitHub Copilot. Yeah, I think could probably happen. I mean, of course, GitHub Copilot has the advantage of being trained on GitHub itself, which is, you know, the largest platform for code bases and repositories and so on. So that's, of course, a huge advantage, but let's see how it plays out. What do you think? are the next steps for Llama development at Meta and the FAIR Research Lab? Yeah. So at the moment, they are, I think, in the process of starting to develop the new family, like Llama 3. But what I've heard that they are waiting for the new shipment of GPUs from NVIDIA. So they will probably start training at the same time OpenAI does. But I think they will still open source it. Just by the comments I've heard from the researchers, but also from Zuckerberg, they have like, now they have the standing, I think that they have to open source it. 
what we will probably see in the development is first the larger context sizes, because that's a huge trend because 4,000 tokens just doesn't cut it anymore. It's probably will be at least 20, uh, maybe even more, maybe even in the direction of 100,000, which would be quite interesting. And secondly, I think we will see more multimodal models as well, which are already integrated with, with the Llama family. I can imagine that they train one model and image and text jointly and also bring it out in different model sizes. Yeah, it seems like it goes into kind of bigger and better and more modalities, adding audio, adding visuals to create like not only images, but even short videos, GIFs, whatever you have. So yeah, let's let's see how it plays out. But they are, of course, one of the main competitors here together with OpenAI, Microsoft, Google and other players, but they have a great model on their hands right now. And with that, I think we will finish off the week on Meta and news from Meta and also technologies from Meta. This was very interesting to talk about, you know, everything that comes out of their research labs. And we talked about PyTorch, we talked about Llama, we talked about new developments at Meta in general. And I'm sure we will touch upon this company again as we go on. But yeah, do you have any final words? Yeah, if you have any other company you want to have like a deep dive on, especially someone or some company who's really focused on on like all three aspects, who's involved in the AI space, who has like a research arm, which is doing research, but also who has like libraries and tools for AI developers, just reach out to us and shoot us a message what you want to hear. I really want to do one on China, um, which is a German company. But we will, we will see when we get to that. We'll see about that. But yeah, this was the Artificially Unintelligent podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed this session and we'll see you soon. See you. See you.